0: Uh, I, I'm smart enough to combine two things together at one time, uh, President's Day, which is today, and Black History Month. Um, look, I've done President's Day, a lot of President's Days. Uh, there was a time when I would do this. This was always kind of cool. When I would get up here on President's Day, and I would be un- completely unprepared. And I would just say, you name a president, I'll tell you something about him." Remember that? Back in the day, yeah. But that was just me showing off, so I I quit doing that, you know. I mean, I don't mind showing off, but that got kind of old after a while. So we're not gonna do that. I am gonna talk about one president today. The guy on the left is James Madison. The woman on the right is Dolly Madison. They were married, husband and wife. The guy in the middle, is a guy you probably never have heard of, Paul Paul Jennings. Paul Jennings, uh, who has that cool soul patch. By the way, I think that's kind of cool. But anyway, he was uh, a slave owned by the Madisons. Uh, I don't want to get lost in the tall weeds of all that, because that's not really the point of the story. Uh, Let's get some perspective here in time. Um, Who's the first president of the United States? I was rooting for you. There you go. Uh, it gets a little harder. Second, was there a whole section of people who know this right here? Is that, I mean, is this, is this, yeah, all, yeah, there's Lloyd McDonald, so it makes sense. Okay, number three was Thomas Jefferson. Very good. I think that went to the faculty at that point, but, but anyway. Number four, apparently eight people were president uh, at the same time. So No, it was uh, that guy. James Madison. Yeah, I'm happy for you, too. Let's get a time here, um, 1809 to 1917. That's his presidency. If you think about it for a couple of seconds, the War of 1812 is during his presidency. Uh, during his uh, presidency, uh, the British invaded the capital, a federal city, they called it back then. They burned it. Uh, They took torches, and British soldiers went to the Capitol building and burned it. They went over to other government buildings, burned them. They went over to the Navy Yard, burned it. They went over to the White House, and they burned it. Paul Jennings was in the White House. Paul Jennings, in 1814, was 15 years old. Uh, James Madison has already left before the British got there. He's running around with a uh, unit of uh, U.S. cavalry. Dolly Madison is still in the house with several servants, including Paul Jennings. She's running around saying, okay, we've got to take this, we've got to take that. Uh, there's a big portrait of George Washington on the wall. We can't let them get that. That's a war trophy. They'll, they'll parade it all over London. Got to take that down. He's there. Fifteen-year-old Paul Jennings is there. Um, they get out. He will. Dolly escapes. He will then stand there and watch uh, the White House being burned. He will continue to serve the Madisons, not as if he has a choice because he's a slave, for the remainder of their presidency and then after their presidency. Now, I don't know if you know this or not. American presidents never received a pension until Eisenhower. That means we went through dozens of presidents and when their presidency was over, the U.S. government said, thank you very much, see ya. And you're on your own. Now some presidents were independently wealthy, that was fine, some were not. Some presidents died pretty poor. James Madison is gonna be one of them. Now that may not seem to make sense. If you go to his house today, which still exists, uh, Montpelier was his name for it, it's a nice big house, I wouldn't mind living there. Nice big house, he owned thousands of acres of land, owned 100 slaves. I think, for most of us, that would translate into a pretty wealthy guy. He wasn't. For several reasons, I'll describe here in just a sec. He just didn't have money. Look, um, you can own a lot of land, own a lot of slaves, doesn't mean you're going to make money. By the time he is through with his presidency, um, farm prices are down, tobacco prices are down. Um, and then there's the problem of Dolly's son. I say Dolly's son because she was married before. She, Her first husband was last named Todd. Her son was named Payne Todd. Never was a young man or better named than Payne Todd. He was a Payne. He was what they would call then a profligate son. Uh, think about the, um, uh, the story of the son who goes off and, riot, you know, riotous living, all that kind of stuff. He's that kid. He wasn't motivated, he went to school, flunked out, he didn't want really to have a job, he didn't want to do anything, he was a gambler and he wasn't a very good one, lost a lot of money, and every time Dolly Madison turned around, she was she was getting him out of, out of debt. So money is going to, that she didn't have, really, is going to hit her son. And James is part of that, too. Payne had a deal where he would sometimes go to Dolly and ask for money and not tell him. Then he'd go to James, and he would not tell her. Uh, He's a skunk. He just drained these guys. Um, Dolly Madison never stopped loving her son, but she never stopped paying for him either. Fast forward to 1836, uh, 20 years after the presidency is over, James Madison dies. He was 85. Paul Jennings was at his bedside, virtually holding his hand as James Madison passed away. Now, Paul Jennings believed that James Madison would free him in his will. He did not. Now he's owned by Dolly Madison. Uh, Paul hoped that he would one day be freed by Dolly Madison. He was not. She did put in her will very specifically, mention him by name. Uh, That upon her death, my my mulatto manservant Paul Jennings is to be freed. She changed that will later. Uh, She had at least two or three different wills after that and didn't mention anything like that. He hoped he would be freed at her death. He was not. She gets more poverty-stricken, things get worse. She so has to start selling off pieces of land. Of course, every time a piece of land gets sold, there are going to be these slaves thinking, okay, am I going to be next? You got less land, you don't need as many slaves. James Madison always uh, had um, a thing he did, uh, just his guideline, which was I will never sell a slave unless that slave agrees to be sold. So he rarely ever sold a slave. Are, we, are you going to say, sure, sure, sell me. I'll go to a complete, complete stranger. Why not? Sell me. I'll leave my wife and family behind. Sure, fine. You know, almost nobody would agree to be sold. So he put himself in kind of a box there. You mm-hmm. live by the sword, you die by the sword, I guess. So there she is, not very many recourses. Sells off five acres here, a couple slaves here, ten acres here, three slaves here. Finally, she sold Paul Jennings, who had served the family for decades. Um, lived at No one knew James Madison more intimately than Paul Jennings, except for Dolly Madison. He was sold to a neighbor, because that's what Dolly Madison would do. She would always sell the slaves to neighbors, so they would kind of be able to keep in contact with each other, if that makes sense. Subsequent to that, his sale fairly quickly after that, Daniel Webster, who was a senator from Massachusetts, bought Paul Jennings and gave him his freedom. Now, Paul Jennings ponied up some of the money. But anyway, he got his freedom. Now, if I were Paul Jennings, I would say, you know what? I've had enough of the Madisons. I don't owe them a thing. I worked for them way too many years, I'm now a freed African American, I can do whatever I want. He didn't do that. He knew Dolly Madison was living very poorly, and what he did was, I think, absolutely extraordinary. This is something I don't know that I could do. After he was freed, he regularly visited Dolly Madison. He would go to Montpelier, and he would visit her. When she sold Montpelier and moved to Washington, he still visited her. He wrote after her death his memoirs, uh, in which he addressed the poverty of Dolly Madison. He wrote this paragraph, and this is what makes the story worth telling. He wrote this in his memoirs. Now, this is the former slave talking about a former first lady. Now she lived in a state of absolute poverty. I thought sometimes that she didn't even have enough to eat. I visited her often, bringing her from the market a basket of provisions. And I looked around the house to see whatever else she needed. She made me buy my freedom. And now it was me who gave her money from my own pockets. What? Uh, as they used to say, that's bottom rail on top. I don't know that I could do that. I don't know that I'm that kind of guy. I think I would take the biblical approach and just shake the dust off my sandals and that would be the last of that. He took a biblical approach, didn't he? He took the words of Jesus very seriously. He treated her how? How he would want to be treated. He hadn't been treated well. He was owned by these people. You can you arrange can it any way you want to. If you own somebody, I'm not sure that's a good thing, is it? That's not even a debate. He had every right to be bitter, resentful, angry. You know what? Forget you. You didn't do right by me. What do I owe you? I don't owe you anything. That's not how you approached it. When he saw her poverty, he tried to address it. He tried to help. Look, I've said this before in chapel. There's a real simple way to approach your life that I think will make you as good a person as possible. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's real simple. It's real simple, but it's also hard. I'm gonna encourage you to do that because otherwise you can get caught up in bitterness and anger, resentment. And then who suffers? You do. It's your spirit that'll be crushed by that. So that's my last sense, real simple. Do the best you can to other people. And the gauge for that is how would you like to be treated? Thanks.